0: U.S. writer Jesmyn Ward is the only woman and the only black author to receive two national book awards. The first, in 2011, was for Salvage the Bones, set in the lead-up to Hurricane Katrina, in which she and her family were involved, and the second, in 2017, for Sing, Unburied Sing, about a three-generational family in rural Mississippi. Jasmine Ward, also the youngest ever winner of the Library of Congress Prize for American Fiction last year, is Professor of English and Humanities at Tulane University in New Orleans. Her latest novel is, like its predecessors, not an easy read. It's about chattel slavery in the mid-1800s in the United States. Uh, Annas is the teenage daughter of a black mother and the white slave owner... Uh, She's sold and forced to walk from Carolina to the slave markets of New Orleans. It's called Let Us Descend, a reference to Dante's Inferno. Let Us Descend and Enter This Blind World. Ward's husband died uh, three years ago. A grief, I suggested, was written into this book.
1: Yes, very much so. Um, you know, when I began this book, of course, he was still alive. I mean, I started this book around somewhere in 2015. And then he died in early 2020. And I had spent, you know, the years before 2020, the really, really struggling with the book. I may have had three chapters uh, because I spent probably around two and a half years just researching because I realized I didn't know anything about American chattel slavery. So I researched for a while, and then I got to a point where I th- where I sort of felt like I was procrastinating and um, out of fear, right, that I would get something wrong, get some fact or get some small thing wrong, and so I just wasn't starting. And I came to the realization that I had to start, and so I I began writing the book. But it was still very hard for me to immerse myself in Anissa's experience because. Her reality is so alien to mine and to anything that I've ever written, right? So it was just very hard for me to get into the point of view of a character who has little to no physical agency. That was, that was, I was stumped. And then my partner died in 2020, and I still had in January, and I still only had three chapters, and I was so grief stricken my grief just felt so complete and so dark and so all-consuming that i thought well maybe this is it like maybe i've written everything that i'm going to write like maybe i won't write any more novels you know because i'm i this the the my pain just silenced me i sat with that for for a bit and then i i don't know i i had this intuition and this feeling like very suddenly that that was the last thing that my partner would want for me you know the last thing that he would want was for his loss to you know to silence me right and so i thought okay okay his name was brandon you know so i was like okay b like i'm gonna get back into it right and so then i returned to the novel And I began working on it again and I discovered that experiencing that fresh grief gave me a key to understanding Annis and her mother and, you know, so many of the other enslaved people who she encounters. Right. I mean, because I feel like grief is a very it's a very it's you know, it's 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 one of those emotions. Uh, and one of those feelings that every human being will experience or nearly every human being with, will experience people so, talk about
0: being overthrown by grief and mm-hmm. and I guess that would enable you to understand as you referred earlier to and it's this is lack of agency mm-hmm. you know just overthrown
1: right right um you know and it's it's particularly difficult for her because because as I said, she doesn't, she has little to no physical agency. I mean, she's made to move and walk and, you know, work, and she doesn't have much control over her body. Um, and so, and then, so you pile on top of that, this immense emotion, right? That grief, um, but I feel like in the book, she discovers and I discovered as I wrote the book and wrote my way into her experience that she has other types of agency and that's how she's able to retain a sense of self. You know, that's how she's able to retain a sense of hope because Yes, she feels deep grief, but she can also feel other things. So she has other emotions. So she has a certain amount of emotional agency. She has imaginative agency. She can imagine herself out of the situation that she's in. She has the agency of memory. So she can sink into memory that will take her out of the moment. You know, I think the, the grief allowed me to sort of find my way to other ways that she would exercise a sort of freedom and a sort of power, I think. This is the first
0: of your novels, I think, that goes back into history. Your others are uh, written about more recent um, issues of rural poverty and mm-hmm. racism. Um, yes. You live in Dalil. You mm-hmm. were brought up in Deleal in Mississippi. It doesn't sound as if it has a great deal going for it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: Huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Why did you <laughs> why did you return there?
1: I you know I I left when I graduated from high school and I went out into the world. I attended university in California. Um then I moved to New, New York City for two and a half years. Then I moved to uh the state of Michigan. Um and I you know so I spent um, all of my twenties and half of my thirties, like 15 years out away from Mississippi. And I I was always homesick. Um, I think that I, first I missed the beauty of this place, right, uh, because the beauty of this place and this landscape, it it speaks to me, right? And then also I really missed I missed my family, I missed my community. And um and I wanted that in my life again, you know? And so I thought, well, why don't I move home and attempt to live and work as an adult at home just so I can figure out you know whether or not this is worthwhile right i mean this is the place that inspires me so why not try to come back and live and write here um and just see if it worked out and if it did not work out if it was too if it you know if it was too backwards if it was too much to bear then i would leave um and i i still reserve the right to exercise <laughs> that option uh one day but for right now this is where i am you know i have children now so they are you know, po- embraced by my extended family, by my community. Uh, you know, right now I'm here. Right now, it's working. Uh, but uh, people do often ask me that question because, I mean, you're right. Like on the surface, I think it's, I think it's well, difficult I mean, they, for
0: people. We we think that because I think um, Bois Sauvage, which mm-hmm. is the town that you describe in Salvage the Bones and Sing Unburied, Sing. I think it's supposed to be modeled on Delil. And, yes. you know, maybe maybe it's not to everybody's taste, that place.
1: Some days it's not to my taste. <laughs> <laughs> I meant uh, to ask
0: you, I mean, you have you have had, of course, grief in your life before. And your brother mm-hmm. Joshua um, was killed at the age of 19 by a drunk driver.
1: Was mm-hmm. that in Dalil's? It was in Pasristan, which is the town um it's very it's like five miles away from delil
0: right, so there's uh, a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on there for you in that in that yes. environ,
1: yeah, um you know i think i and i and i do I think that my brother's loss also plays a part in it too because I think if my brother had not passed away, I think that I would be less conflicted about leaving this place and living my adult life and raising children somewhere else. Well, you mean you Um, feel like
0: you're leaving him again
1: if you go? Yeah.
0: Yes. In a way, I think. You wrote an extraordinary memoir in 2013, which is how we know about your brother. Um, Mm -hmm. He was one of five young men you describe who died in, in, in the South, in the space Mm -hmm. of four years. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the details of your brother's death but as I understand it the 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 driver who was drunk was not convicted of killing him he was right. charged and convicted of leaving the scene yes which
1: leaving the scene accident
0: yeah which which doesn't sound like justice how are you feeling no. about that today
1: you know it's still i mean it's been what 20 23 years and it's still it still hurts. Um, it's still painful. Do you think um, that would e- happen today? I mean, was that
0: an instance of racism? The driver was white. Your brother was black. Would that have happened today that way? I think so. Do you?
1: Yeah, I do. I yeah, I think that that it's entirely possible for that to happen <laughs> here here in uh, especially in Mississippi we are very aware that racism still exists and that it expresses itself throughout our lives and now you know and even in our deaths i think that's what my brother's death and the court case around his death i feel like that's one of the things that it taught me um so yeah i mean it's still painful e- even even though i feel like i was sort of push trying attempting to push back against the way that my brother's life had been erased in some way right like we'd been told you know, basically that his life didn't matter. And so I, you know, in part I wrote the book because I wanted to say, but he did matter. You know, he does matter, even today. I'm talking to American writer
0: Jesmyn Ward, whose latest book is called Let Us Descend. The um, horrific march that you describe that Annis is forced to undertake from Carolina to New Orleans. I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult to to read, and Mm -hmm. I imagine very difficult to write, she says, Uh, these people treat us like livestock. mm -hmm. But it was worse than that. It was worse than that. Why would people who had paid good money for these slaves, why would they risk damaging them beyond repair on that march? That's the question in my head. Is it a legitimate
1: question? I mean, I think you know the <laughs> i've heard people say this and i think it, it 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 is apt in this situation but i've heard people say the cruelty is the point the driving home you know right
0: uh, so of, they um, were it, they were treated worse than livestock because right. there was racism as well as sheer pragmatism they had to get from a to b but the suffering was the point right Right. Mm. Yes. I mean, it's counterintuitive, right? Because so many must have died on that walk.
1: Yep. Yeah, but I think I don't know. I mean, and they probably figured too. Um, you know, I learned some of this in the in the research that I did on American chattel slavery. You know, they some of them yes did die i mean but you, if you think about the middle passage and the amount of pe- of the millions and millions of people who were you know transported in the middle passage and died right i mean they just sort of chalked those losses up and kept it moving and i don't know probably assumed that they could recoup that money some way i don't know down the line probably um you know when i did research on the actual slave markets I mean, they would hide deformities. They would, um. They would attempt to doctor, you know, on the, on the enslaved people to make, to create this uh, illusion of health, right? They would t- tell them sort of certain narratives, right? So they could sell for more money. They would be like, okay, you know, you're a healthy field hand and this is what you can do. This is what you can do. So when buyers come up to you, this is what you, if they ask you questions, this is what you say to them, right? So they had all these um you know, little methods, right? These these sort of plans um, that they could put in, in place, uh, I guess, in order to try to recoup as much money as they could um, and earn as much money as they could, you know, for the enslaved people, even though, even though that w- everything was so difficult for them, you know, even though they were, you know, they were diseased, they were broken, they were run down. Like it was a, a terrible way of 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 transporting people.
0: I recently read about the discovery of a slave auction advertisement. Mm. 600 slaves up for sale in Charleston in South Carolina, 1835, um, mm-hmm. from rice plantations. Did you see that? This is, a, this is supposed to be a record. No other um, slave market has come close to that number. Did you see that?
1: I did not see that. That is a very large number. Um, ProPublica
0: you know, that- Pro published it, and it was the work of a of a young woman who was doing her PhD or thesis into it. Hmm. Six, 600 slaves advertised for sale. Extraordinary. Yes. And extraordinary that, you know, the only reason anybody knows about that is because they saw this wee, this little advertisement in a newspaper. That's how she came upon it. Mm-hmm. and And you would think... My goodness, you know, this history must have been known. It wasn't that long ago, 1835. And right. yet, no, there's still stuff to discover. Right. Does that surprise you at all?
1: Uh, it doesn't surprise me that there's still stuff to discover, no. because I, Because I feel like this country has done... I feel like this country has been particularly invested in erasing history and uh, crafting a new narrative. And, uh, you know, I mean, we can see that even today with everything going on in Florida, with, you know, them not even wanting to, you know, teach African-American history, taking it off the curriculum. When they do teach it, they say that slaves earned valuable life skills. And that, <laughs> <is the> exact- <laughs>
0: I know that was right. a
1: cunning argument, wasn't it? Right. right. Mm. So it that is it does not surprise me at all that there's still so much left to discover about the system of slavery itself and, you know, and, 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 and everything that existed concurrently with it, you know, what, like one of the things that was so that I was very surprised to learn, um, uh, was about like the resistance to slavery, you know, among the enslaved, because we were definitely not taught about that in school. Um, you know, the only sort of conversation that we would have sometimes about resistance would be when there were revolts, right? And there were sort of one or two that would come up in the conversation and then that's it, right? And so one of the things that I was surprised to learn was that resistance seemed to be everywhere, you know, and, and it and it spanned a whole host of behaviors, you know, it it ranged from, you know enslaved people breaking tools to enslaved people running away to enslaved people sort of aiding uh communities of runaways around you know the plantations to people you know running away and, and, and establishing entire communities in the wilderness to people even when they were being processed you know through the slave pens in new orleans you know and they're given that script that they have to follow so many uh, enslaved people decided no that they would risk the punishment and they would you know speak up and would um, refute the script you know they would ask you know if they thought somebody may have seemed like a decent person and they were attempting to buy them they'd be like can you not split me and my family up you know can you buy me along with this person so I mean it seems like resistance you know was something that was that was widespread. And that is um, some kind
0: a- of that's some kind of agency that you give to Annis.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. You've spoken in the past about how important reading was for you as a child. You had mm-hmm. a lovely expression for it. You felt safe in the cradle of the story. Mm-hmm. But you've made the point, very few people in the books that were available to you at that age were like you.
1: Right. What were you like? <laughs> Um, I was quiet and watchful, and I, of course, love to read, and it was not difficult for me to find books with protagonists who were girls around the same age that I was. I think what was more difficult was to find books about little girls who looked like me Um, also little girls you know and by that i mean who were you know black american and also it was difficult for me to find books about little girls who can't you know because i i grew up poor right i mean my generations of my family have struggled here you know in this area you know, over the decades and, uh, you know, I grew up poor. I never saw, you know, any, there were a few poor kids, right? Um, You know, who existed in the books that I read. I felt invisible in both of those ways, right? Regarding like not being able to seize anyone who looked like me in, in the books that I read and then, you know, not being able to witness anyone who came from the kind of world, I guess, that I came from uh in the books that i read
0: how do you think that's affected you now
1: well i think part of the reason that i even came to well first of all i'm a writer because i love i love words i love literature i love storytelling right i love language um but i felt like i was searching maybe my whole childhood to, for this one book, <laughs> you know, this one book that would feature a person who was recognizable to me and more like me, right? And this person would have been capable of great things and would have been been capable of, of nearly the, you know, the impossible, right? But I never saw that. And so I think that when I began studying creative writing seriously in graduate school you know i was writing you know pretty regularly and writing lots of short stories i wanted to write about the kind of people that i grew up with about um you know about the kind of people who could be you know part of my family part of my extended family part of my community and so i think th- that is how it has affected me because i've i feel like i've been sort of writing the books that i that you that i, to, that you could, right, that I yeah
0: read, right? the the current book banning i mean it always seems to be coming and going certainly in the united states the erasure as you put it of different voices is something that you feel very strongly about then possibly as a yeah. consequence of that childhood experience
1: yeah i mean it's it's um it inspires several different emotions. You know, I mean, it, it, it makes me, it saddens me because I think about kids now, you know, kids like the kid that I was who are being affected by these bannings who, you know, that where it means that when they go into their school library, that they're not finding books, you know, that reflect them in some way, you know, that, that, that does something to you to, move through the world and feel constantly invisible and erased, you know, and then it angers me too, because, you know, I, I just, my sister is, a, my sister's a teacher. She's a math teacher, but still like, there's so many stories that have come out about, you know, teachers being fired teachers, you know, being, you know, censored teachers having to remove, you know, books from their classrooms and, not even being able to have the books displayed in in classrooms right because because of the book book bannings right and that's i mean i think that education should reflect the truth (laughs) and i also think that education should challenge children and i think that children and young adults are smarter and they're more adaptable and they're wiser than we think and so i I they but the book bannings i you know, yes, i I have a real problem with them
0: i I think that your book, Salvage the Bones," has been challenged by some parents in some schools um yes. because it deals with issues such as teenage pregnancy, sexual assault. Um, are there books that are too graphic for children, or are you arguing for just a a sort of sensible teacher? uh
1: discrimination on the basis of common sense. I mean I didn't write Salvage the Bones for children. No. I didn't even write Salvage the Bones for young adults. Like Salvage the Bones is an adult novel. It just happens to be about <laughs> teenagers. Uh one could ask and, what 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 what
0: would it, what was it doing in that school then? Couldn't one? Well
1: I think well a lot of a, lo- a lot of a lot- adult
0: books though, don't they? I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, right. And they find them on their own. Right. And, um, a lot of teachers also teach my books. A lot of high schoolers, uh, high school teachers teach my books. A lot of high school teachers teach my memoir. Right. And the memoir is rife with, uh, there are many serious topics right in the memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, none of the, none of these children are living in fairy tales. <laughs> you know, they're all living in the real world, right? When I was a child, I <laughs> dealt with uh, sexual assault. I dealt with witnessing um, substance abuse. I dealt with growing up in poverty. Like there are all these things that I witnessed as a child. All, you know, the, the it's, I feel like it's not, because you are withholding, you know, a book from them that may be addressing, uh, you know, sort of darker material, right? That doesn't mean that they're not already familiar with all of those things, right? I mean, kids grow up with domestic violence in their homes. They grow up in all kinds of terrible situations. And if anything, I feel like books that do tackle darker material, that book helps children and young adults to navigate their lives and to navigate these darker realities so if anything like i feel like they're tools they're keys that 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 children and young adults can have or that they can use to try to understand what they're living through and to navigate what they're living through
0: your son he's seven now Mm -hmm. do you talk about these things with him
1: yes i mean they they sometimes do come up in conversation you know kids will ask me questions uh, my kids ask me questions and I try to answer as best as I and as clearly as I can I am doing my best to try to protect their sense of what is possible to protect their imagination to make them feel safe right because I know that the world is going to do the opposite of that <laughs> the reason so, I asked you about
0: your son was because you've you've written about <laughs> your reaction you already had a daughter, uh, mm-hmm. your reaction to the news that you were going to bear a black boy into the world right You wrote, I faked joy to the whiteness and I dropped the phone after the call ended and then I cried because mm-hmm. you were afraid you were afraid of what right. the world could do to him. Right. How do you prepare him for that?
1: We talk about it. Um, we talk about uh, police violence. We talk about um, the ways that he might be perceived out in the world by people who are not like him. We talk about how. He, he might try to keep himself safe or signal to those people that he is a safe person. I mean, Um, this sounds to me
0: terrible. I'm not mm -hmm. disputing the fact that you feel you need to do it, but to he's a child and you are preparing him for a hostile world in which he has to pretend to be other than he is. Right. Right. Kind of breaks my heart.
1: It is heartbreaking. But I, I, you know, I feel like I and I think many parents feel this way. We feel like we have no choice. I mean, the the alternate to that is to not give your child the tool, whatever tools you can give to help them survive. Right. I mean, and I feel like that's one of the, the sort of base responsibilities of parenthood is to provide your child with as much tools as you can so that when they're out in the world and um, you know they're away from you uh, and you ha- you are less able to keep them safe they can do what they can do to be safe mm. and to live
0: It was jasmine ward whose latest book is called let us descend